listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Um, so we're going to be walking through John chapter 6 together. A couple of things, and, and the, the purpose for that is um, I appreciate Keith's perspective. I feel like we have a very symbiotic relationship and just a, a way of looking at the world. We come from a, a similar place of how we view and respect God's word. But the way that we interact with that and the way that we interact with people is usually from slightly different perspectives. And uh, so we're, we're, it's almost like... Um, you can read the book of James and you're like, he's here, here's the list of things to do. Then you read the book of Galatians and Paul is like, don't do anything, you know? Um, that's a, that's a hy- hyperbolic, okay? Um, but so you look at Paul and James in that sense and they're like, man, they're, it seems like they're fighting against each other, but they're not. They're standing back to back fighting two different enemies. And so uh, I often think of me and myself, uh, me and me and myself and I, I think of myself and Keith as standing back to back a lot of times and we are one um, and we're so glad to have him here on staff. Speaking of giving, we brought him on staff last year um, to do uh, spiritual direction for us. And so I meet with him almost every single Thursday. That's the one thing that my wife knows is on my calendar is meeting with Keith. And so she'll ask me, hey, how was your meeting with Keith? And uh, I'm always like, either good or bad. Um, and so and if it's bad, it's because of me. So I invited him up here. So we're going to be walking through John chapter 6 together. We'll see how it goes. Um, it's, uh, it's different for both of us. As we do, a couple of things uh, that we see in the book of John, and just to kind of catch us up really quickly with where we are in John chapter 6. So an overview of John 6, there are no parables in the book of John, uh, as, a, as opposed to contrasted with other synoptic gospels or the synoptic, synoptic gospels. In the book of John, we see seven miracles. We see seven I am statements. And so we're going to be, be spending the next seven weeks looking at those. But then lastly, John says this all throughout his book and even finishes with this. And we've seen this the past two weeks as we've been in John looking at Palm Sunday and Easter. But the main thrust, the crux of his book is this, that you may believe. That's why John wrote his gospel is that you may believe. Yeah. Thankful to be a part of the great experiment this morning to see how this goes together. Uh, when we started talking about doing the I am statements over the next few weeks, I got real excited because when we were serving in Czech Republic, which is one of the most atheistic countries in the world, we would often invite atheists or agnostics that we were working with to come into a time of reading scripture with us together. So we would say, we want to help Czechs who are curious about God, learn more about him by reading the Bible together. And often we would invite them to start in Genesis, but every once in a while, we would start with the I am statements in the book of John as a three-week teaser. So we often start with John chapter six. And it's interesting because you're starting in the, in the middle of a story with this, but as we would read the Bible with atheists and just ask them, what do you see? What does this tell you about this character Jesus that's in the story? What does it tell you about the people in the story? They would often from their perspective of not knowing anything about the Bible, never having read the Bible before, pull out some pretty great themes that are just in the text that are easy to see. And one of those is, is just that Jesus is on a different wavelength in his thinking than the people in the story are. If you're familiar with the story, you'll see that Jesus is going to say, I am the bread of life. This is the one we're looking at today. He's talking about him personally, and they're stuck on this idea of something physical, the physical bread. Oh, give us this bread. 
And so that's one of the things that one of the guys walked away from our study saying, I can relate a lot to the people in the story because basically what they're saying is, I want what I want. Can you help me get it? And he's saying, no, I am it. And he said, I can relate to them. I don't think I would follow Jesus unless he could help me get what I want out of life. And so that's a great takeaway from this that we'll see. We'll unpack that more. The other thing that they often said as we looked at several different of the I am statements is how often people would come and ask Jesus what, how, when, where type questions. And Jesus would just continually to answer with the who answer. They would ask a question and it seemed like his answer was personal and not exactly about where they were. And so as we looked at that and as we unpacked that with atheists, it was a lot of fun. And I thought, I want to be a part of this series to be able to unpack this. As believers, we definitely have a different perspective, but the text kind of unfolds with itself there as well. So the idea of believing, John, as Mark, I mean, as Michael was saying, was uh, the idea that, yeah, thank I'm you. I'm sorry. It's just that I worked with Mark more. I like Mark more. I, I He's, you know. Oh, I know. <laughs> So the idea that, what was I talking about before that No happened? idea. All right. <laughs> belief. <laughs> the belief. This idea of what it takes to believe. And as atheist agnostic, we would often, we're going to ask that question, what, what would it take? What would it take? And they would say, this one guy we worked with for a while, his name was Cornelius of all names. What a great name. And he said, he was a brilliant guy. He was, he was doing his postdoctorate work in mathematical algorithms. All right. He's a really, really smart guy. He's you know, the NSA type being recruited by that type of people. And he was looking at it and we were saying, what would it take for you to believe? And he said, you know, for me, I just wanted a formula. If I could just add God up, if I could just add all this evidence up and at the bottom of this evidence and at the bottom of these formulas, it would say equals God, then I would be able to believe. And he said, that's kind of how I've, I came into this time. I wonder if you were going to give me some evidence that I could just add up and it would be belief, just like I work with algorithms in my postdoctorate work. And he said, I realized that if I could do that, it wouldn't be a very good God. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work out. I would just have a God that my three-pound brain could actually come up with, that all of my logical ability, and it, that would not be, if I was ever going to believe in God, it would have to be because he did something in me, not because of something I could figure out. And I thought, what a beautiful way to talk through that. So the context this morning, as we get into John, we're going to look at the passage as these guys discussed as atheists and agnostic trying to figure out what does it take for them to believe in God? They realized that it was going to have to be something different than just them, their own brain trying to figure out some kind of evidence. And this is where we are in the context of this. You've got Jesus is coming to the scene. He's been baptized. John has pointed him out. This is the Lamb of God. He's had some disciples are starting to follow him. There's some great stories in that. He's done the turning the water into wine. Some people saw that miracle. Some people didn't see that miracle. He's uh, healed someone at this time. He's done a, a lot of miracles to the point that Nicodemus, the Pharisee, has recognized that maybe this is the guy. And so he goes and asks him some questions at night. He has begun to refer back in multiple ways to the Old Testament, referring to himself, especially looking at Moses. And we get into chapter uh, six now, and I think we'll pick up the story here and you can take us into these passages. Yeah, as we do, real quick, um, the word there in Greek for belief is very similar to the word for faith. It's essentially the same word with just a few different little endings on it. And so as we talk about what belief is, it's not scientific, it's not mathematic, but what it is, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. 
It's in the spiritual realm. And this is what we um, can't see as readily is the spiritual realm. And that's where Jesus is inviting them into, hey, what you see here is tangible. Here's the physical, but understand the spiritual realm. Here's what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. It says, now faith, again, we can use that word pistuo. Everybody say pistuo. Okay, either faith or to believe. Now to believe, to have faith, it is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So that's the invitation this morning. So yeah, so we're gonna look at uh, verse number 22 in chapter six. Verse 22, it says, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now the context of this, so we picked up in verse number 22. If you, look, if you look at the very beginning of chapter six, we see the very beginning of that heading uh, was called a pericope there. Uh, it says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. So most of us are gonna be familiar with this story, but there are thousands, tens of thousands of people following Jesus. And we, they get to this one hillside, they're out there, they're hungry. And they say, Jesus, um, man, we're, we're starving. And there are no restaurants that are open today. And his disciples come to him and say, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna feed all these people? They look at Judas. Judas, do we have enough money? Uh, you know, since you're taking care of the money, do we have money to feed all these people? What do you think Judas says? He's like, no, of course we don't. Even if they did, Judas is gonna say no, right? That's who he is. So Jesus is like, all right, anybody got any food? And this little boy walks up and he's like, I've got a Lunchable. You know, I've got a little bit of bread and a couple of fish. We think fish, we're thinking fillets. More, more likely, it's a few sardines, okay? Small fish. This is not a big, you know, uh, piece of sockeye salmon. He says, I've got this. Jesus, what does he do? Hey, this will work. Everybody's like, um, I don't think so, Jesus. We're, we're barely gonna get like a, 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 a smell of that food. But he breaks it up. He feeds thousands of people there. It says 5,000. That's 5,000 men. So probably there are up to 20,000 commentators would tell us, probably 20,000 people when you include women and children who are there. And then they have basketfuls left over. So then the, the folks there, the crowd loves this. They love seeing miracles. They, they love seeing the physical. Man, we don't have to go somewhere else and spend our money on, on this food. We just have Jesus. Man, this dude, he is awesome. So then Jesus slips away. He gets over, his disciples go across the, the sea to escape them uh, in a way. In the middle of the night, if you look there in verse number 16, it says that Jesus walks on water. So he goes away to get away from his disciples just to be by himself with the Father. His disciples go across this sea, and we often think like a small lake. It's about six or seven miles across. It looks more of like the ocean as you're standing there looking at it, the Sea of Capernaum. And so uh, his disciples go across in a boat, and then G they're like, man, we don't know where Jesus is. A storm comes blowing through. Then they look over, Jesus is there walking on water, skiing without the skis, right? And so he's walking on water. It's awesome. He catches up with his disciples. Then the next morning, that's when we see in verse number 22, the people are like, Jesus, we love you for all the cool stuff you can do. You are so awesome. Then we get to verse number 26. So at verse, up to verse 25, they're looking for Jesus. Rabbi, when did you come here? They're like, how did you even show up here on, you know, six, seven miles away on the other side of the ocean? He's like, don't worry about it. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Mm. 
They're not coming to Jesus because their souls are full. Man, thank you, Jesus, for filling my soul. They're coming to Jesus because their bellies are full. Not for spiritual reasons, but for physical reasons. Verse 27. He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Here's the question I want us to answer this morning, and you can provide feedback to this answer if you want to. But when do you find yourself discontent with life? Anybody? Say it again. When things aren't going right, yeah. Everybody's like, yeah. That's, <laughs> That's it. Fair enough. Thanks, Megan. And next. Okay. Uh, any, anybody else? When do, you, when do you find yourself discontent with life? When you're not getting your way? Yeah. Less money in the bank than you wish. Yeah. And all God's people said? Yeah. Give us more. I, <laughs> oh, amen. That's right. When we look at the folks here, we're not so different than the Czechs, than the Jews, than atheists. We're no different as religious people who are showing up to church on a Sunday because our goal, even as believers, if we say Christians, is we want the ability to make life work at whatever means possible. We want life to, we want our bellies to be full. We want our bank accounts to be full. We want our kids to do what we want them to do. When things aren't going well, what do we do? Man, how do I make life work? You see, what they wanted more than anything, the people here, and the same for us, was not ultimately about Jesus. He says, you came looking because your bellies were full. You're not even worried that this was a miracle. It's just about your belly. Look at verse number 27 again. Do not labor for the food that perishes, the physical, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Now, the word life that he uses here, there are three different words, at least, in the Greek that are often used in the New Testament for life. One of those is psyche. Everybody say psyche. And that means the, the life that you have, your existence. There's another one that's bios. Everybody say bios, where we get our word for biology. But then there's a third one, and that's the one that's used here, and the word is zoe. Everybody say zoe which is a divine life. This is a, your essential being that is only given by God. It's a, it's a sort of vibrancy. And so Jesus responds here. He says, I've given you your, your bellies fill, but what you don't need is more physical life. What you need is an eternal spiritual life. There's something deeper inside of you. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. There is something deeper inside of you, a deeper desire, a deeper longing than, ju than just having everything in life work out. He says, and I am the bread of life. You don't have to look anywhere else for life. That deeper desire can only be filled by me. Not, am I, not only am I the bread of life, but I am life. In your brokenness, I'm going to be broken out of humility so that you can be made whole. Yeah, I think this place for me, when I think about 
God as life. We're thinking about life in him. So we're thinking about the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We've talked a lot about that. Capital L, life, Zoe, in that sense. This is where you can really find this. Chris Baker, I'm really sorry if I don't say the Greek words right. So just, you can forgive me ahead of time because I'm not going to, I've got a few other Greek words coming up and they're they're not going to be said right either. So anyway, but this life in Christ is where reality is. And so this place where I find the difference between what I call reality is often where my senses exist, right? This is our friend who is the postdoctorate work. If I could see something, if I could just see it, then I would know something is real. What do I call reality? So that invitation into life in him versus inviting him into my life. So that's where when we say, when all God's people said, give me more, we call that prayer often, as opposed to a confession. My heart says, give me more, which should be prayed as a confession, not as a, uh, you know, prayer request often in that, in that way. But other sources of life, if I look at, you know, Jesus is saying here that the greater reality that you're not able to see, he's holding in front of them himself, reality. But the reality that they focus on is just what makes their life better defined by their definition of life. So anything that I look for that I call life, as long as I'm going for that, then what happens is it actually dulls me to reality. It dulls me to life, life in him. Does that make sense? Anything that I look for that I find that I think will give me life, it actually dulls me to where life is really found. So it can be sex, drugs, and rock and roll. If I turn to that, then it dulls me from the reality of what life is. I use those things to give me something that they can never give me. It's kind of that place where, you know, if you try to hold water in your hands as they're cupped, you can do that for a moment, right? But not for long. No matter how tight your hands are, it's going to leak, whatever you're trying to hold. And so it's interesting, as we see in verse 28, they said, what, what must we do to do this? There's kind of this bargaining chip that they're coming. How do we do this? What do I do? What's our end of the bargain and what's your end of the bargain? Can we uphold our, like, as if there was something they could do to actually keep their end of the bargain up in order to make it work? So what do we do in order to get this life? And it could be good things or it can be bad things. So uh, I think we have another question to throw up here I would love to ask right now. So what happens when I don't believe Jesus is life? What happens in me when I don't believe Jesus is life? It's easy to say, and especially right now, if we were doing a multiple choice test, Jesus is life, sex, drugs, and rock and roll are life. We would all go, okay, we would check the Jesus box. But what happens you know, later in the day when someone pulls in front of us, and that's you know, what gets stirred in us, and we go, oh, that no traffic becomes life, you know, those type of things. Or it can even be good things, even like ministry success. If I could get things done, then where, how do I know where I look for to life? It's usually what keeps me up at night, right? How do I know what I find, where I find my life? Well, what keeps me up at night? This past week, I woke up, middle of the night, it was Wednesday, and as I woke up, I went to the restroom, came back to bed, and I couldn't go back to sleep, and my mind was just turning and turning and turning. And here's what it was turning on. Where did I find life and death? I didn't think in those terms, what the terms I thought in was, what did I say to those people? What did I say to that person? That was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. I wish I could take it back. I'm not going to say anything to anyone tomorrow. I'm going to just be quiet. I'm going to, you know, oh, I should have said something better. What can I say next time? I'm going to be really smart. Anyone else have these conversations with invisible people? I was at the gas pump this week. No one was even behind me, and I finished pumping the gas, and I thought if someone was, because it was really crowded, but no one was behind me, and I thought, if someone was behind me, they would probably think I was going too slow. And I had a 
15 minute argument with a, ne- a person that wasn't even behind me going down the road before I caught myself going, why am I so angry at a person who wasn't even there? <laughs> because that's where I find life. Right? Is anyone else relate at all? Oh, I see you pointing at some other people. Good. Okay. Some other people have it. Yeah. I mean, one other way of just of doing this, I mean, where else, where do I, where else do I look for life? Where, where is this found? This is years ago. Eli, I don't know if you remember this or not. We were in Texas, and uh, Eli was with me. We pull up to this red light, and this truck and a boat pull up to the other light. So we're looking at it from the side. And it was lifted up. It had big tires, and the boat was incredible. It looked so good. Do you remember this, Eli? And neither one of us said anything. We just looked at it, and we were both coveting. And so we were solid in our, our sin together in that, and we were both just coveting, imagining what life would look like if we were the ones in that truck with that boat behind it. And we, we didn't even say anything. And within seconds of this coveting moment, another truck on the other side in the other lane pulls up that was a little higher, a little bigger tires, a little bigger, a little bigger boat. And the guy driving this truck that we were coveting after turned his head and looked at the other truck and the other boat. (laughs) And we saw him do that. And we knew what he was thinking because he was thinking what we were thinking five seconds ago. It would be nice to have that. And we both just started laughing. Do you remember how old you were? You were pretty young. And we both just started laughing. There was no words that's changed. And we just realized that how fleeting that moment where we go, that would be the life. That would be living and then how quickly that guy turned and said, that would be the life. That would be living. <laughs> and, how, and it's funny when it's a truck and a boat and another truck and a boat pulls up, but it's not funny when it's 2.30 in the morning when you're thinking, what did I just do? Where, where did I just find life? Right? And so this brings us into this place. If we try to find life in any other source, it will leave me empty, discontent, and always searching. And we'll see in the text, always grumbling. <laughs> always discontent, always searching, always empty, trying to find it. Because they'll say, Moses gave us bread. And he's like, yeah, what happened to them? They're all dead. It's a Dr. Phil moment with Jesus. How did that work out for him? Right? It didn't last. Yeah. So let's keep going. Verse number 29. So that verse 28 there is, is almost that, that hinge verse. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Good religious folks, Right? Good question to ask. What must I do? There must be something more. Notice how he responds in verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. This is the most important verse probably in this entire passage. And there are so many good ones. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform What did they just see Jesus do? Feed tens of thousands of people from this kid's lunchbox. Come on, Jesus, if you do something else, then we'll believe, then we'll believe. A couple questions, and these these are probably questions that you've answered maybe previously, or this would be maybe for someone who does not call themselves a believer, but these would be up on the screen. But two questions. First, what would it take for you to believe? That's, that's what so many around are asking. I just, I want to convince people to believe. And here they say, if you were to make my life better, if you were to do some more tricks, if you were to do some miracles. But secondly, where people often end up is, if I just had fill in the blank, then I would believe. Then I would believe. That's what they're saying here. 
Verse 31, they keep going. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're saying, man, our fathers who were there thousands of years ago, as they were wandering around in the desert, grumbling the whole time, what does God do? Out of his grace, he provides manna, which is a a light bread type substance. Every single morning, six days a week, he provided bread that appeared on the ground out of nowhere. They say, look, Moses provided for us. That's what they're saying here. Moses provided this bread for us. And notice what Jesus says. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, this is so important. He didn't just say truly once, he says it twice. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus has just told them, here's the work that you must do. You must believe there's bread coming down. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what we want. We want bread. They're still in the physical realm. They can't take their minds there. Here, here are two questions for us who would say, oh yeah, I believe. Uh, I, I just, you know, I just, I have enough faith. Here are two questions for us. What are you looking for when it comes to Jesus? Again, this goes back to the way that we pray. What are you looking for when it comes to Jesus? Secondly, what would make your life full or complete? What is it you go to Jesus? You don't say, man, I, I, I believe, help my unbelief. No, we go to Jesus and we say, man, my life would actually be full or complete if you would take these prayer requests and make them a reality by the end of the day. I'd be really thankful for that, God. Then I would believe. We bargain with him so much. Their, their focus is still so much in the reality that they're, they're saying, man, Moses is so good. Look at the physical that he provided for us. Jesus says, you don't need the physical bread. You need eternal life. St. Augustine said this. This will be up on the screen. He said, how many seek Jesus for no other object than to get some kind of temporal benefit? Jesus is scarcely sought for his own sake. Here too, he says, you seek me for something else. Seek me for my own sake. Yeah, it's a great lead into verses 35 through 40. I'm just going to read these. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Reminds me of Thomas later. I'm not going to believe unless I see. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. It's very similar what he says here in this last part of what he will say to Nicodemus in chapter three before we get to here. When you get Nicodemus, he's saying, you must be born again. He's like, how can that be possible? And he says, you have to see me. You have to look at me when I'm lifted up. And he talks about uh, this beginning part, the I am statement that is here, that he says, I am the bread of life. This is a unique place where we're gonna look at a couple more Greek words. This isn't like saying, I am going to Jerusalem later, or I am clean of this sin. The, the I am statements in that 
you know, I am going down to Jerusalem, just use this one word. Usually the I am, if you're using that, it's just this word. Again, I'm not going to pronounce it right, but the Greek word is along the lines of this word, imi. I am doing something. It's just the I, personal pronoun, helping verb, am, you know, doing this action. Whereas in this, he uses two, the Greek uses two words in this. It uses another word for I, and then it says, I, I am. I, the word there is ego, where we get the word ego. I, ego, I am. So why the double wording, right? So this is, we're already talking about Moses here. And what did, when God showed up to Moses in their burning bush, Moses is saying, how, I'm nobody. I'm going to go back to say, set my people free. Who do I tell them sent me? And what does he say? What does God say through the burning bush? What is his name? I am. Yeah. In other words, this I am, the way that that is said in that part is this I exist, but it has this idea to it. I was, I am, and I will be. It's the beginning and the end that we'll see later that John will use again in the book of Revelation. This is the direct tie in. So he doesn't just say, I am, easy, as if I am going to go do something or I am hungry. He's saying, I, I am, which makes it the same as when he says the name Yahweh in the Old Testament. So this is direct reference to his deity here. He's saying, I am God. They're asking him for a miracle. The issue is, or the idea here is that he could have given them a miracle, right? Isn't this interesting? Hey, what, what sign will you show us and then we'll believe in you? He could have said, all right, here's a sign. He could have levitated them all, you know, a few feet off the ground. All right, here we go, watch this. He could have like thrown some fire. He could have done, he could have done some miracles. He could have turned stones into bread. Right? That was the temptation earlier. He could have shown them a sign, but he knew that there was something else that they needed. They didn't need a sign. They needed him. Right? And so when he invites them into this, here's what he's saying. Could you give us a sign? Could you, they're using theology. They're using uh, Bible stories. They're, they're trying to use everything they can to kind of figure this out. And he says, I cannot give you something greater than me. There's nothing greater than me. I, can you give us a sign we'll believe in you? I don't have anything better than my name. I don't have anything better than my name. If you want something else, I can't help you with that. I have my name to offer you. That's the invitation that he's inviting them into. He's saying that there's so much more. This is, as we look at this passage, especially these five verses, as Michael and I were talking through this multiple times over the last week, the thing we kept saying is, there's so much here. There's so much here. This should be, this whole passage right here should be the whole seven weeks sermon series. There's so much to unpack. And if you have theological bents, you'll look at this passage and say, you have to talk about this. You have to talk about this. And I think I'll just leave, leave us with this part for this passage right here is that, the will of the Father that he is sending him down is this, believe in Jesus. Believe. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit more. But I want to close this section out just with a, uh, another uh, Augustine quote. It says this, you made us for yourself, and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. You made us for yourself, and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. I love the way that the Father is pursuing us. We saw that on the cross last week. He is coming after us. He is pursuing, but he's inviting us to himself. And if I said, man, all you need is to hear me preach. I am the best <laughs> preacher. You'd be like, that's a little arrogant. But notice that here Jesus is saying, you don't need this other stuff that I provide. You need me. If I said, Shannon, all you need is me and your <laughs> life will be satisfied. 
she would say, uh, I, don't, well, I, don't, I, I don't know. She would look at you the way she's looking at you now. Yeah, <laughs> the way that she always looks at me. But Jesus here, this is not an arrogant statement. He's saying, I am full of glory. And the way that you are going to get me is by myself being broken. This is the will of the Father. So he, here he says, back to that Augustine quote, you made us for yourself. In other words, we are made to hunger for Jesus. That's the way that we are created is with this, the deepest desire of our heart and our soul can only be filled by him. And so in the same way that some of y'all this morning are like, man, I can't wait for this. I'm so hungry. Or you ever go to the grocery store um, while you're hungry? A terrible decision. I feel like that's the only time I ever go to the grocery store. It's terrible. But you just walk around, it's like, man, I can just feel my stomach just growling. <laughs> it is terrible. Or early in the morning, you hear that. The same is true with our souls. We have this, without Jesus, this unceasing desire for him. And only he is going to be the one that satisfies our souls. So then let's look at this next section of scripture. I'm just going to kind of go through here. There's almost this back and forth between Jesus and the Jews and Jesus saying the same thing, just different ways. And the Jews are just like, we don't get it. <laughs> they didn't have the eyes to see. But notice in verse number 41. So he says, I am the bread. Believe in me. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him. Again, we see it back in the, back in the desert when they were wandering in the wilderness with Moses. What are they doing? Grumbling. What are they still doing here? We want some more things that you can provide. Give us some more gifts. The Jews are grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. Look at verse 44. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So not only is the will of the father to send Jesus, he is the living bread of life. Not only is the will of the Father for that bread to be broken on the cross, but the will of the Father is the way that we ingest Jesus, the way that we accept him is through faith that is a gift of God the Father. So all of this is the grace and mercy and the working of God. So Jesus says, I am declaring my divine identity and the way that you can partake of me is because of the will of the Father. This is nothing of your own doing. Man, such, a, such a, a graciousness. Look at verse number 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, again, whoever believes has eternal life. I am, Yahweh is, Jesus is right here in front of you. I am the bread of life. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I, even as I read verse 51, I think, man, I, I love the idea of eternal bread, of eternal life. Because even here, our lives are, um, they're touched with death at every single turn. Uh, the reason I keep my hair short on the sides is because it's all gray. Like I'm reminded of my mortality every time I look in the mirror. Anybody else? We have wrinkles. As we age, we have more aches and pains. We start to enjoy baseball more. All these different things that are just marks of death as we continue to age. And here he says, I'm not going to provide life for you here because there's something more that you need. I love cinnamon toast crunch with my whole heart. In fact, <laughs> it, it, some would say, man, I, what's, what's your addiction? My, I'm addicted to CTC. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, I can't live without it. But guess what? Every time I eat CTC, I want another bowl as soon as I'm finished. And then I eat a second bowl and then I'm like, man, I'm satisfied. 
But then the next night, guess what I want again? More CTC. <laughs> because there's, there's something in me that I need to eat it over and over and over again to sustain this physical life. Jesus is saying, I have not come down to sustain this physical life. I have come down to give you eternal life. There's something worse than being physically dead and it's spiritually dead. Verse 52, notice, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? We don't understand this, Jesus. They still don't get it. They're still in the physical, right? It reminds me of John 3. How am I going to go back to my, mom's, my mother's womb and be born again? Verse 53, so Jesus said to them, you, you notice Jesus doesn't do any miracles. He doesn't do any tricks. We often think, oh, parables. He puts things in parables so that people can understand things more easily. No, if you get through reading the parables and other uh, gospel accounts, Jesus gets through with the parable. What do the people do? They scratch their heads. We don't understand this, Jesus. What does this mean? It's because your eyes must be opened by the Lord. Your ears must be opened so that you can hear and understand. Here, he doesn't give them the answer necessarily. He keeps kind of speaking almost in riddles, but he's saying, I am the bread of life, believe in me. So notice he says here in verse 53, Jesus said to them, here's his response. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. His life must become part of yours. In order for you to get the nutrients and the benefit of bread, you must take it and chew it up and ingest it. Y'all, at that point, there's no distinction between who is who. The bread is part of you. And I would imagine even as you think about these Jews, I wonder if Jesus is kind of chuckling to himself because as good Jews, they don't even eat bacon. And here he's saying, no, no, it doesn't matter if you eat bacon. I want you to become a cannibal. <laughs> and so he's here, it's continuing to blow their minds. Eat my body, drink my blood. Yeah, when we, when we look at verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And it's so important as we, Jesus is making this very personal. Again, it's not something outside of you. And this is what the Jews would have been used to. There's a law that exists outside of you. There's a kingdom that exists outside of you. There is a ruler that exists outside of you. There's something outside of you that if you could see it, believe it, you know, what they were wanting for their Messiah, the person that was going to rescue them, was from something that was outside of them, this oppression. And he's inviting and he's making it very personal by inviting them in. Uh, this is a relational, you know, a relational relationship, go figure. But not, this is not a bargaining relationship. This is not a transactional relationship. This is something very personal where I'm inviting you to be a part of who I am. This is the bread that has to be taken in. It has to become yours. It abides. You're abiding in me. I'm abiding in you. And this is your only hope. The only hope is that there's a reality that you're coming into what is true life, and I am that life. You can have bread that's sitting in front of you and not take it in, and it doesn't do you any good. I was recently at O'Charlie's. O Anybody like O'Charlie's bread? Mm. This is where, yeah, good, okay. So I've been trying to watch my weight and my, watch my diet recently, and we go to O'Charlie's, and they said, do you want us to bring you some bread? And I was with a friend, and I said no, and he said yes, and I thought, okay, whatever. I'm gonna not eat it, and they brought it, and they set it in front of us. It didn't work out for me. I ate it. 
because I saw it and I wanted that goodness in me. I had to have that goodness in me. And no matter what willpower I had at that moment, it went out the window. If you want to know what my son Luke's source of life is, go to old Charlie's with him. He will make sounds that you will know. He thinks this is the life eating that bread. It's amazing. But it has to become, this is even different, right? I mean, it's not, I don't have a personal relationship, although the noises that Luke makes sounds like he has a personal relationship with old Charlie's bread. But in this sense, it's something where I'm abiding. The word abide here is the same word we would use for fellowship in other times. It's a very intimate word. We're in this relationship together, right? I, he is throwing something back to Isaiah. This is the bread. Come those who are hungry. Come those who are thirsty and eat and drink. It is free. There is no other hope than coming to him, a reality that you cannot get on your own. You have to come and you have to abide. You have to take it into yourself. Yeah. If you imagine a, a, a plate of fresh, man, I'm, I'm going to make us hungry. I know, so hungry right man, now. Man, I know. I should have eaten breakfast. I should have eaten that coffee cake this morning. <laughs> imagine a plate of fresh, warm, that basket of bread. It's not sufficient for you to say, as you're sitting there starving, because you haven't eaten, you know, in a matter of hours. But let's say you haven't eaten days and somebody brings that fresh, warm bread and sits it right in, sets it right in front of you. It's not enough for you to say, I believe this bread would fill me up. I believe it, all right. No, if you believe it, you are going to pick up the bread and put some of that delicious salted honey butter, whatever, spread it on there and eat it. That's believing is saying, I'm going to partake with this and that's where the faith piece steps in. It's not just, okay, I believe, thanks God, I don't have to go to hell, boom, I'm done. No, it is a commitment. I need this. There's something outside of myself that I need, and I'm participating in this sanctification with Jesus Christ. So we take and we eat the bread. That's our source of life. And friends, I think what we see here, especially as Jesus is speaking to the Jews, he's saying, and to us this morning, all other sources of life will lead to death. Every other source of life will leave you wanting. It will leave you hungry eventually. It may feel good. It may be great in the moment. He says, but eat this. Believe in this. Commit your life. Surrender to me. Then your life will be full. We, we finish this passage. It says there, um, this, this last section in verse number, beginning in verse number 60. And I want us to see here the, uh, the contrast between Peter and Judas. Notice, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if I were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Talking there about Judas. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. We want to attract so many people. I want to convince you this morning 
with really good songs, good music. There are so many times I'm just like, man, if we had enough money, we could just give away iPads. I could just convince people to believe. I want things to go well. I want it to go perfectly because I want to convince you to believe. But I can do nothing. We can do nothing in the flesh to convince someone to believe. It is only a gift of the Spirit. It is only by the will of the Father that you are called to believe. To believe. Notice in verse number 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And he's talking there about the thousands. Here John is talking about all those thousands of people who were walking. He's, he's saying these were the disciples. Many turned. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. You see here, Peter says, you have the words of life. There is nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. We see Judas' response. You see, Judas and Peter, they saw all the same miracles. They both knew the good news. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw him uh, take bread and feed thousands of people with it. They both had been the disciples here. They had walked with Jesus. But the difference was Simon Peter says, yeah, it's not about all those things. All these things point my heart to you, Jesus. You are what I need. And then at the end of Judas' life, he's standing there with a bag of silver that he had gotten from the rulers, from the religious rulers to turn over Jesus. He traded Jesus for this bag of silver coins that he held in his hand. He just could not let go of that. So my question for you this morning is what are you holding on to instead of eternal life? We're gonna have one of two responses. Jesus, you have the words of life. Where else is there to go? You are it, or we're gonna have the response of Judas, which is, man, I really would love to, but I think I'm gonna hold on to this instead. That's it. That's the decision that we all have to make. And we're like, oh yeah, I believe. I've already, I've already prayed the prayer and that's great. But yeah, what about when your wife says that to you? Where are you running to for life? The invitation for you this morning is that Jesus Christ will always satisfy you. And I would plead with you to taste and see that the Lord is good. His body was broken so that you could be made whole. His blood was poured out so that he could cover you in his righteousness. So this morning, as we partake in communion, this is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We're reminded of the bread in tangible form, who came, who put on flesh to live for us and with us. He lived the life that we were created to live and then he died in our place, taking the wrath of the Father on himself. That's the will of God, crazy to us. After three days of being in the ground, dead as a doornail, he then raised to life by the power of God the Father. Now he's ascended, he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, forever making intercession for us. And so as we take the bread and we dip it in the juice, we're reminded of the finished work of Jesus Christ, that we have life eternal. And so I would plead with you that you would find your hope and your life in him again this morning. And if you never have, 
I would implore you to fall upon the mercy of God even for the first time. He is the only one who can satisfy you. So this morning, we're going to remember what Christ has done. We're gonna repent of our sin, of finding life in other places. And we are going to rejoice that Jesus Christ is the ruler of all things and he has invited us into eternal life with him. Family, you're invited to join us now.